Welcome to the Grace 412 podcast. It went from 65 degrees just a couple days ago to 19 degrees. And so I've got the heat on my office. If you hear a little bit of a whistle, don't judge me. I'm freezing. And so we're going to jump right in. We started this series, Broken Leaders. Just a couple weeks ago, we've been talking through... um, broken leaders. And by the way, that's all of us. And that's everyone in scripture. But we're talking about how God has used them. And so we're going to look at the book of Esther in entirety, chapters 1 through 10, uh, and study out not just Esther, but this guy Mordecai, uh, somebody who uh, had an aunt and uncle that died, who was taken to a land that wasn't his own, um, the Persian Empire, after being taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. uh, He adopts his niece, Esther. He takes her in. He takes care of her. And then the king uh, basically takes her and says, hey, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to have my way with her. And so while Mordecai doesn't show a lot of signs of brokenness or dysfunction, he's actually pretty God-honoring throughout most of the story that we can see. Uh, This story in itself is so broken. Uh, And it's interesting that God's name is not mentioned once in this book, but God's hand is seen throughout the entirety of this book. And so we've got a lot to cover uh, tonight as we discuss it with the teens and as we go through this in the podcast. But if you just need some backstory, most of us know the story. Uh, The first chapter, King Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus. Uh, is having a party. He calls out uh, to his queen Vashti. He says, hey, you know, come out to the party. He wants to show her off. She says, hey, I'm not coming out. And so the king gets, you know, pretty ticked off. He's not sure what to do. And the people in the palace are like, hey, listen, if, if the people around town hear about this, like they're all going to start standing up to you. And in verse 16 and 17 of Esther chapter one, they say, actually, all the ladies are going to stand up to all their husbands. And so they basically make a new law saying, hey, what the king says goes, uh, what the men say go. Uh, the king is sort of separated from Vashti. And then chapter two, the king uh, is getting lonely. And so he basically says, hey, I'm going to hold this contest, this beauty pageant uh, to see what women or what woman I want to marry next. And so we pick up our story uh, in the introduction of our broken leaders and of our heroes in the story, Esther and Mordecai, uh, Esther chapter 2 and verse 5, it says this, Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew uh, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, uh, the son of Kish, the Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away uh, with Jeconiah, uh, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought Hadassah, that is Esther, uh, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took in for his daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, that when many uh, maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also into the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, the keeper of the women. And so uh, basically you see this. Uh, Esther is a great leader too throughout this story. Uh, One of the days we're going to do a study on her specifically, but you see these qualities in Mordecai already. They're so helpful for us to look at when we're studying leaders. And the first one is that Mordecai uh, was available. Good leaders are available. The Jews had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, who was then uh, given control to Babylon, to then give control to the Persians as they took over Babylon. And now the Jews are sort of stuck here. Uh, But you see, even here, Mordecai is mentioned for the first time taking care of his niece. In verse 8, it says they were taken out of their home, and then she gets taken 
taken out of her home that he had built for her and she gets taken before the king and a lot of weird stuff happens then in chapter two a lot of not so so great things uh, a lot of things that are not necessarily um, honoring but again God's name isn't mentioned but God's hand is all over this it says in verse 17 the king love Esther and while Esther's being thrown around in the palace of the king, chapter 2 of Esther, you look at Mordecai, Esther chapter 2 and verse 11, and it says, Mordecai walked every day before the court of the woman's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. You see this, he's, he's available, he's checking in on Esther. He's not overly protective or paranoid, he's available, he's there, he's invested. God is more interested in your availability than your ability. Mordecai was was there where he needed to be doing what he needed to be doing a lot of us think oh I can't lead because I don't have the skill set I need or I can't succeed because I don't know what's what's gonna happen in the future or I can't lead because you don't know what's happened in the past or I can't have influence I'm too busy but in this day and age simply being present and simply being available will go such a long way God can use that and he used that in Mordecai. You look at what happened. Mordecai in the right place in the right time. Chapter 2, we go down to verse 21, and it says, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of, of those which kept the door, were wroth. They sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the king or the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. And so again, Mordecai's by the gate, he hears these guys are plotting to kill the king, he tells the king these two guys are hanged. Again, very different time uh, this was for the world, but Mordecai He's in the right place. He's in the right time doing the right thing. He's not out for recognition, right? It just says they wrote this stuff down in the history books, essentially is what happens. And this is important to note because moving forward, that's going to get brought back up because in chapter three, we're introduced to the, the enemy in the story, the antagonist, Haman. In chapter three of Esther, verse one, it says, after these things, did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him and above all, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not nor did him reverence. See, Haman is promoted. He's this proud guy. He wants everyone in the city to know who he is, know how he stands before them and before the king. He wants everybody to bow to him, but it says Mordecai didn't bow. And you think about this, that Mordecai is a, a, a Jew. He's, he's taken captive by the Babylonians who are now controlled by the Persians. His cousin who he had adopted because her parents had died is now um, being shown the palace of the king. She's, she's being flaunted around, you know, compared to the other women. And now this guy says, hey, don't bow to your God. You bow to me. And Mordecai had compromised on a lot of things. He had given in on a lot of things. But he said, I'm going to draw the line here. One of the things that we can learn from Mordecai is that good leaders are adaptable. And that's an interesting thing because you say, oh, well, he wasn't adaptable. He didn't change his stance. He, he didn't bow before Haman. But you, you, you see through their example, Mordecai and Esther, they had gotten comfortable enough in Persia that they, they sort of blended in. It says Esther wasn't even recognized as a Jew. They were even respected among the people of that country and eventually among the, the king even and his palace. But, but they, they also knew where to draw the line. 
See, adaptability is the quality of being able to adjust to new conditions. And Mordecai and Esther showed a great example of being able to adjust to all the new things being thrown at them. But they were even more successful in their adaptability because at the end of the day, they knew where to draw the line. Mordecai knew that he served God first, period. And so he wasn't adaptable in that he just gave in to everything, but he was adaptable in that he knew his main priority. It is not our job to change the world or to live like it. It is our job to honor God and he'll take care of the rest. For us now, this means living like Jesus. But for Mordecai, he, it meant, I'm going to honor God no matter what I do. He said, hey, you want to put me in a different country? Fine. You want my aunt and uncle to die? Fine. You want my adopted niece to be taken away from my home? Fine. You want to show her off in the king's palace and objectify her? Fine. You want to not give me credit even when I save the king's life? That's fine. But I'm not bowing to your idols. I will worship God, my God, Jehovah, Jireh. Most of us err on one extreme or the other in the area of adaptability. Most of us either have a complete distrust and disdain for the outside world and we're not changing anything and we're blaming everything on them or we're so willing to change, we're so willing to adapt that we become chameleons and we want to just blend in and we don't ever stand out at all and we don't ever make ripples, we don't ever behave any differently and therefore we don't ever make a difference. But Mordecai, he was standing out, he was making a difference, he was making some waves and Haman was ticked. And so Haman, at the end of chapter 3, it says, verses 5 and 6, he doesn't just want to see Mordecai dead. He wants all the Jews dead. And the end of chapter 3, uh, Haman basically tricks the king into saying that all the Jews are going to be uh, killed, that they're going to go to war against the Jews. And that's decided at the end of chapter 3. And in chapter 4, we pick up now, and we see the, the response of both Mordecai and the Jewish people. It says in chapter 4 of Esther, verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried with a loud and bitter cry. Mordecai is obviously and rightfully upset and broken over this. If you read in chapter 4, as you go on, it, it says all the Jews that heard this saying were distraught. And rightfully so, and, and it says Esther even was too. We don't need to spend a lot of time here, but it's important to note that part of being a leader, especially a, a leader that's available and adaptable, is acknowledging the brokenness around us, is acknowledging when it hurts, acknowledging when it's difficult, acknowledging when there's injustice in the world, acknowledging when there is a problem, acknowledging when there's a flaw in the system. When we're available and adaptable, problems will arise, but we won't see solutions by ignoring the problems or focusing on them. We focus on God's glory, and He takes care of the rest. And again, we often err on extremes here too. We're either so focused on our problems that we can't ever see what God's doing, or we're so focused on ignoring our problems or sweeping them under the rug that we never see what God can do. But you see a beautiful example here in Mordecai, in Esther, and in the other Jews that they acknowledge the problem in chapter 4 early on. But then as you go through chapter 4, they seek out a solution. They seek out how God can be glorified. You see that through the rest of this chapter. And chapter 4 is largely a conversation from Mordecai and Esther uh, through a servant. Mordecai basically says, hey, you've got to go before the king and you've got to stand up for our people. And we get to chapter 4 and verse 13, and it says this, Then Mordecai commanded to Esther uh, to answer Esther, 
Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. It says, For if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He says, again, God's glory. He says, hey, God's going to preserve our people. He already promised that. But we don't know when or how he's going to do it. He says, verse 13, don't think that you're going to make it out alive as a Jew just because you're in the king's palace. He says, God's going to preserve our people, but he might, he might destroy us, this, this generation. He says, maybe though, just maybe, you've been brought here in the king's palace for this exact reason at this exact time. He says, maybe God wants to save us through you. And then verse 15, it says, Then Esther bade them return uh, to Mordecai this answer. She says, Go gather all the Jews, verse 16, that are present in Shushan, fast you for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And she says, And so will I go into the king, which is not according to the law. And she says, If I perish, I perish. She says, I'm going to go to the king. It's, it's not law that I should just go appear before the king right now. It's not law that I should stand up to the king right now. He might even literally have me put to death. But she says, if I perish, I perish. Esther and Mordecai both showed us something great here, that good leaders are accountable. Accountability is expectation to justify actions or decisions. Accountability is responsible for one's self. Being accountable means I am responsible over myself over the decisions that I make. They chose to do what they knew was right, regardless of the consequences or the outcomes. Look, we can only do what we can do. That seems so simple, but it's so important for us to remember. We can only do what we can do. So we do what's right and we let God take care of the rest. She didn't know what the king was going to do or how he was going to respond. She didn't know what Haman was going to do or how he was going to respond. She didn't even know what God was going to do. She just knew what she was supposed to do, and that's what she did. And so you guys know how the story goes. We'll burn through chapter 5. She invites the king and Haman to a dinner just to invite them to a second dinner. Haman's bragging about it. He's, he's going through town. He says, hey, I've gotten invited, invited to dinner with the king and the queen, right? And then it says in chapter 5, he sees Mordecai. He's still mad that Mordecai won't bow. He talks to his wife. He complains to her. He ends up making a gallows to hang Mordecai on. And then chapter 6, uh, it, it, it kind of interrupts Haman's story, and it brings us over to the king in chapter 6 and verse 1. And it says, on that night, chapter 6, right before the dinner, the night before the dinner, the king couldn't sleep. and He commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands on the king, Ahasuerus. And so out of nowhere, the king can't sleep the night before the dinner. He has the people read the history books. And then as chapter six goes, he says, hey, we, we never did something for Mordecai. We, we need to do something for Mordecai. And he calls in Haman and he says, hey, what would you do for somebody that the king wants to honor? And of course, Haman's proud. He thinks that the king's talking about him. And, and so Haman says, well, I would have him wear the king's robes. I'd parade him through town on the king's horse. I'd have him announced as somebody special to the king for what he's done. And the king says, okay, cool. Go do that for Mordecai. 
And chapter 6 ends with Haman parading Mordecai through town and giving Mordecai the honor that Haman desired. And then chapter 6 ends completely with Haman crying to his wife about what he had had to do that day. And what's interesting about chapter 6 and throughout all of 1 through 5 really of Esther is Mordecai was never out to get Haman. He, he was never out to make Haman his enemy, but Haman was letting Mordecai ruin his life. And that's what bitterness will do to us. It'll, it'll, it'll ruin our lives, and it's not going to hurt the person we're bitter with. It's going to hurt us. And so then we'll fast forward. Chapter 7 is the dinner party. The queen finally tells the king about how Haman has plotted to kill her and her people. The king is so mad he leaves the room. He comes back in the room, and Haman is like falling over Esther, begging for his life. And the king comes back, and he's like, wait, now you're, you're going to try to go after my girl too? And so the king's even more upset. He has Haman hanged on the very gallows that Haman made for Mordecai. And then chapter 8 and 9, we won't read, but we'll gloss through. Chapter 8 and 9, they basically make a law that says the Jews can fight back, and the Jews do. Uh, They end up slaying a lot of the Persian enemies that attack the Jews, that still had a vendetta against the Jews, including Haman's ten sons. And a lot of the Jews, including Esther and Mordecai, are actually put in command in Persia. And then you fast forward all the way to chapter 10 and verse 3 where our story ends and it says for Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed you see a couple things one that Mordecai as a leader was still seeking the glory of God and the wealth of his people still seeking peace but this would never have happened had the Jews just declared war on them See, if, if the Jews had come in and just declared war on the Persian Empire, th- this would have ended in an all-out slaughter. But instead, you see this was all part of God's plan to eliminate some of the enemies of the Jews and to rise to prominence some of the leaders of the Jews, like Mordecai, like Esther. If Mordecai hadn't taken Esther in, if Esther hadn't gone to the palace, if Mordecai had bowed before Haman, if he had sought immediate reward after saving the king's life, if Esther hadn't gone before the king to stand up for her people, none of these things would have happened. God did the work. It was his plan and his purpose, but he used his people. And so the question for us is, how do we allow ourselves to be used of God? A few simple ways to start is be available. God is more interested in your ability or availability than he is your ability. Be adaptable. Recognize it's not our job to change the world or to live like it. It's our job to live like Jesus. And then be accountable. We can only do what we can do. So we do what's right and we let God take care of the rest. I'm excited to see what living like this will do, not just in our youth group, but in this community, in this church, in our respective families, in in the places in the world that God sends the people of Grace 412 out to. I'm excited to see what living like this will do for the kingdom of God through the people of God. We'll see you guys next week as we continue in this series, Broken Leaders. Broken Leaders.